As I mentioned earlier, the text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 3, the verse, verse 1 to uh, chapter 4, verse 1a, which we have already read together, so we won't do that again. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you heard of William Tyndale? He was an English clergyman during the time of the Reformation. We might be more familiar with Martin Luther or John Calvin, but William Tyndale also had a large influence on the church. During the Middle Ages, most people did not have access to the Word of God. It was written in Latin and interpreted only by the Roman Catholic Church. Tyndale, however, was convicted that everyone should be able to read or hear God's word in their own language. So he set to work. First, he translated the New Testament into English, and then he began translating the Old Testament. Well, why was William Tyndale so concerned that everyone know God's word in their own language? In Scripture, God speaks to his people, revealing to them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. While creation teaches of God's eternal power and divine nature, Romans 1, it does not teach of Jesus Christ. So without God's word, all men are left without hope in darkness. In our reading this morning, we saw that Israel was walking headlong into that darkness, turning away from the light of God's word. And it wasn't because they didn't have scripture in their own language. But we'll see this morning that the Lord did not leave them this way. He raised up the prophet Samuel through whom he spoke to his people. And we'll see that this is always God's way. Just as he raised up Samuel and worked through men like William Tyndale, so also today he speaks to his people through his powerful word. That brings us to our theme for this morning's sermon. The Lord raises up Samuel as prophet to bring his word to his people. By his powerful word, we'll see first that the Lord calls Samuel to office, second, the Lord judges Eli's house. And third, the Lord ministers to his people. First, the Lord calls Samuel to office. Our text opens by describing the state of Israel in the time of Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The prophet Samuel lived in the days of the judges. Now, this was not a high point in Israel's history. You might remember the famous refrain throughout the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. During these times, God rarely spoke through prophets. In fact, only two prophets are mentioned in the entire book of Judges. In chapter 2, we read of the corruption of the priests in Shiloh. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were worthless men who treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. 
Eli knew about these things, but he did not stop them. So Israel was in a rough state. They had no king. God rarely spoke through prophets. And the priests were not serving God according to his law. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Against this backdrop, we meet Samuel. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. But who was Samuel? The first two chapters of this book introduce us to Samuel's mother, Hannah. She had prayed for a child, and the Lord had granted her request with the boy Samuel. Hannah brought Samuel to Shiloh, where the temple was in those days, and from childhood, Samuel began ministering to the Lord under the guidance of Eli. In verse 2, we read of what seems to be an, an ordinary night in Shiloh. Eli, an old man, is, is lying down in his usual place. Samuel, a boy, is, is also lying down somewhere in the temple. Eli's eyesight has begun to grow dim so that he cannot see, and the lamp of God has not yet gone out. The lamp here refers to the lampstand which stood in the holy place, just outside of where the ark was. God had commanded that the lamp be, the lamp be kept burning from evening until morning. And since it had not yet gone out, our text likely takes place during the early hours of the morning. But these details don't only tell us about the physical setting. They also point to the spiritual state of Eli and Israel. Eli was going blind so that he could no longer see, but he was also going spiritually blind. He allowed his sons to sin, and this was spiraling into spiritual blindness. And the lamp of God was still burning. The priests were still carrying out some of their sacrifices, some of their duties, and some of the people were still bringing their sacrifices, but they were not fully serving God according to his word. If the people of Israel were left to themselves, the lamp of God would soon go out. And the blindness of Eli, the growing darkness of Israel, might ring some bells in our own ears. Whenever anyone begins to ignore the word of God, they soon descend into darkness. We might think of those who step away from the church who no longer come to worship. When someone no longer sits under the preaching of God's word from week to week, sin begins to, to make its home in their house. Before long, it's so much a part of their lives that they don't even notice it anymore. The house has grown pitch dark. So this danger exists for the church today, just as it did in, for Israel in Eli's day. We can think of our own country. As the word of God has been removed from the public sphere, our culture has increasingly misunderstood the inherent dignity of human life. Children in the womb are seen as dispensable, and death is offered as a, a service for those who want assistance in ending their lives. God's word alone is a lamp to guide our feet. Without the word of God, there is no light to shine on the path before us. 
But in the dim, dark, quiet hours of the morning, the Lord acts. In verses 4 to 9, he calls Samuel three times. The first time, Samuel responds quickly, Here I am. He jumps up and runs, runs to Eli. Perhaps Eli, as an old man, often needed help. Since he was going blind, perhaps Samuel often acted as his eyes. But Eli responds, I did not call. Lie down again. So Samuel goes back to bed. The Lord calls a second time, Samuel. Samuel gets up, but maybe a bit more slowly. He goes to Eli, here I am, for you called me. Eli might have been a little puzzled, but he responds gently. I did not call, my son. Lie down again. My son. Samuel and Eli had a close relationship. Samuel served as an obedient son to the old man, and Eli was like a father to the boy whose own parents were far away. In verse 7, we read, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. This does not mean that Samuel did not serve God, but sorry, I lost my place. But that the Lord had not yet revealed his word directly to Samuel as a prophet. Samuel is certainly willing to listen. He's ready to respond each time that he's called, but he just hasn't heard God's voice before. The Lord calls Samuel a third time. The boy again goes to Eli. He may have been a little confused, but his, his words don't show any sign of frustration. Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. His eyes were growing dim, but, but not entirely dark. He was still able to recognize the Lord's work. He gives Samuel good advice, telling him exactly what to say. The boy again goes back to bed. Then the Lord calls Samuel a fourth time. Samuel, Samuel. Despite Samuel's misunderstanding, the Lord shows patience with the boy, and he, God, follows his purpose. And now the boy responds, Speak, for your servant hears. In these verses, the Lord calls Samuel as a prophet, and Samuel faithfully responds. Although the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and, Sam and Israel was, was turning away from him, the Lord graciously chose to speak to his people by raising up a prophet. The Lord granted Hannah a child, brought the child to live in the temple, and now he calls the child as a prophet. Children, can you think of any other time in the Bible, any other child who went to the temple, was separated from his parents, and went on to be a prophet? Yes, the Lord Jesus. The boy Samuel is a small picture of the boy Jesus. In the centuries before Jesus was born, God also did not send many prophets to his people. There was a period of silence between the time of Malachi and, and John the Baptist. When Jesus was 12 years old, 
his parents took him to the Passover in Jerusalem. We read about this in Luke chapter 2, the verses 41 to 52. When they left afterwards, unknown to them, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. After searching for three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. Not only was the boy Jesus in the temple, just like the boy Samuel in our passage, but the focus of the story is on the boy, not on the priest Eli or the teachers of Jesus' day. Similar to Samuel, Jesus had a posture of learning and readiness. Where Samuel continued to say, here I am, we read that Jesus sat among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. But Jesus was not exactly like Samuel. Samuel did not recognize the voice of the Lord and kept running to Eli as close a father figure as he had. Jesus, however, stayed behind in the temple when his earthly father left Jerusalem. When Mary questions him, he responds, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The Lord Jesus knew his father. So Samuel foreshadows Jesus, but he is not Jesus. The boy Jesus is the greater boy Samuel who came to his father's house to learn of his word. And the attitude of Samuel and our Lord Jesus give instruction for us today. Like Samuel, we must always be ready to hear God's voice and quick to respond. When we approach his word, we can pray, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. On the Lord's day, no one should be surprised to find us in church hearing God's word. Where else would we be? The, Lord word, the Lord's word brings light to his people. And as we gather for worship, our hearts and minds must be set on hearing the word of the Lord and praising him for it. Today also, God speaks to call his people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But how did it happen that Israel entered this period of darkness? It seems that Israel had barely entered the promised land and they forgot that the Lord had brought them out from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses had instructed the people to tell their children about what God had done and to explain to them the importance of keeping his statutes. But Israel had not been careful to do as the Lord commanded and this should cause us to examine our own hearts. Have we forgotten what the Lord has done for us? The chains of sin that he has broken. The freedom of grace that we walk in. Do we talk about these things to our children? Do we train them up in the way that they should go? In the ways of the Lord? Israel began to turn a blind eye to these practices... Their disobedience is seen most clearly and most importantly in the priests whom God had specially chosen to minister before him. After all, if they didn't serve God properly, why would the rest of Israel? 
And this brings us to our second point, the Lord judges Eli's house. When the Lord reveals his word to Samuel, it's a word of judgment against the house of Eli. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. We might think of this judgment as spine tingling. God's judgment on Eli's house will be terrible to hear of. We read in chapter 2 about the Lord's message to Eli through the man of God. And now the Lord's message to Samuel confirms what he had spoken before. When the Lord speaks, one should wake up and listen. The Lord had said to Eli, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? And here, the Lord again explains the reason for his judgment. Hophni and Phinehas had been blaspheming God, and Eli did not restrain them, not even after a strong prophecy of judgment. And Eli, we can be sure, knew of his son's iniquity. We read in chapter 2, verse 22, that Eli kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. Verse 23, I hear of your evil dealings. Verse 24, it is no good report that I hear. And then after the man of God pronounced judgment, Eli should have taken action. He should, should not have only scolded his sons, but he should have restrained them. What is the Lord's judgment against Eli's house? Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Verse 14. The Lord speaks even more strongly here than in the previous chapter. He swears to the house of Eli. It is possible that if, if Eli had repented, God may have relented after the previous prophecy. But Eli did not repent. And now, since Eli's house had scorned God's sacrifices and offerings, neither sacrifices nor offerings would atone for their sin. After hearing these words, Samuel lays until morning. He gets up and opens the doors of the house of the Lord, almost as if it were any other day. But he's afraid, because he faces a hard task. He's a young boy, and the Lord of heaven and earth has revealed to him a strong word of judgment against Eli, who's like a father to him. What a tough message to give. And now, for the first time, Eli calls him, Samuel, my son, here I am. What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. This statement is strong. Eli is calling a curse upon Samuel if he conceals anything that God had spoken to him. So Samuel tells Eli everything and thus accomplishes his first task as a prophet. Well, how does Eli respond? 
It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. We're not told how Eli said these words, whether in humility or despair or weariness. But Eli knows that God is just. Eli hasn't restrained his sons. He can't argue with God's judgment. Congregation, in God's judgment against Eli's house, we learn something very important about God. We see that he is faithful to his covenant. And in this case, that means he is faithful to punish those who do not obey his commands. In Deuteronomy 7, the verses 9 and 10, we read that the Lord our God is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. The Lord had warned Eli and now fairly repays Eli's house with a word of judgment. But even in God's judgment, we find evidence of his grace. Since God is faithful to his covenant when it comes to punishing those who disobey, we can be sure that God is faithful in keeping his promises to those who love him. Eli and his sons scorned God's sacrifices and offerings, but let's not forget what or who those sacrifices and offerings pointed to. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 7, verse 27, we read about the Lord Jesus as the high priest, a great high priest. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Where Eli's sinful house of priests scorned the sacrifices, Jesus, the great high priest, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. This sacrifice was once for all, so that the iniquity of those who turn to him is atoned for forever. The Lord's word of judgment against Eli's house speaks strongly to us today. We too have been chosen by God to receive the blessings of his covenant, and Peter even calls the church a royal priesthood. Eli's house rejected their priestly blessings, scorning God's sacrifices and his offerings. But we have received an even greater degree of God's revelation than Eli. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ is the sacrifice and offering on our behalf. Those who trample underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant will be punished. Hebrews 10. Let us... Respond to God's covenant blessings with faith. Let us not scorn, but honor the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Office bearers, parents, this gives us strong reason to set before our people and our children the true meaning of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for us. Even if we have loved ones who are wandering, let us with renewed hope find ways to speak of the sacrifice of Christ and model his sacrificial love to them. Remember this, the word of God is powerful. The Holy Spirit works with the word to bring about conversion, repentance. 
To this end, let us be faithful instruments in God's hands. Let his word flow from our mouths. And children, God has chosen each of you to belong to his covenant. That means he has promised that you are his child, forgiven all of your sins if you respond to him in faith. Let God's judgment against Eli's house turn our eyes to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our third point. The Lord ministers to his people. The Lord does not close this story with judgment against Eli. He has called Samuel as prophet, and now he brings his word to his people through this prophet. Despite the corruption of the priesthood at Shiloh and the lawlessness of the days of the judges, the Lord graciously brings his word to his people. In verses 19 to 20, we read, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. If you recall, the Lord had not sent many prophets to his people in, in the days of the judges. But in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, the Lord had said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, in the case of Samuel... God raises up a prophet like Moses. And in that same passage from Deuteronomy, God had also given his people a test in order to see if one was a true prophet. I read, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Samuel certainly passed this test. The Lord was with him. And Samuel's words did come to pass. All Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was a true prophet. Verse 21. The Lord again appeared at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Do you remember verse 1? The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. But now, the Lord reveals himself to Samuel by his word, and the word of Samuel comes to all Israel. Through the prophet, God's word goes out to his entire nation. And it's incredible when we think about it that the Lord again appears at Shiloh, of all places. That's repeated twice. Shiloh was the place of a corrupt priesthood, disobedient worship, and yet God appears here to Samuel. In human terms, we might think that this would be the last place on earth that God would choose to reveal himself. But God's grace to his people is beyond human understanding. The Lord raised up a prophet in Shiloh to speak a last word to Eli's house, and now continues to speak through Samuel to all his covenant people. Well, 
What relevance does that have for us today? We're far from Shiloh. We'll probably never go there. And Samuel has long since died. The beauty of this story is that it's not only about Samuel. It points to our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Jesus is the true fulfillment of God's words in Deuteronomy 18. Let's look at this a little more closely. If we turn back to chapter 2, verse 26, we read, The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Fast forward to Luke 2 once again, verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor and with, with God and with man. After he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus began teaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region, Luke 4. So throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus traveled throughout the land. Like Samuel, the word of Jesus came to all Israel. But once again, Jesus is not only like Samuel, he is far greater than Samuel. In Lord's Day 12, we confess Christ has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. In John 15, Jesus says, All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So the prophet Samuel spoke God's word to his covenant people at that point in redemptive history. But the chief prophet Jesus, who John writes of as the very word who became flesh, he reveals the fullness of God's plan of redemption to his covenant people. The fullness. What grace of our God. Brothers and sisters, 1 Samuel chapter 3 teaches of the primary central place of God's word in our lives. We come to know him, to know his salvation by hearing his word as it is delivered to us. Whether it's through the preaching or Bible study together or personal devotions, let us take every opportunity to seek out God's word. He has and he continues to reveal himself to us all by the chief prophet, Jesus Christ. And with God's word lighting our paths, let us also speak of it to others, to the world. Since the word of God has come to us, let it go forth from us into the darkness of the world. We're not all Samuels or pastors or elders or deacons, but every one of us should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us. Congregation, we've seen this morning that God raised up Samuel as prophet to bring his word to his people. Against the backdrop of encroaching darkness to a people who were forgetting the word of God and whose spiritual leaders were scorning God's sacrifices, the Lord yet brought the light of his word to his people. Just as he did then, he does for us today, and he always will. By his powerful word, our God brings sinners from darkness to light, from sin to salvation to service. In his kingdom, 
And by this word and by his spirit, our Lord Jesus gathers, defends, and preserves us, his church, until he returns. Amen.